I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. Every Student Succeeds Act, the new federal law, has changed American education policy pretty dramatically. Previously, we had No Child Left Behind. Now we have Every Student Succeeds. The strategy is pretty different under the new program than the old one. And to learn more about this, I have with me today Randall Reback, who is a professor in the economics department at Barnard College at, in New York City at Columbia University. And uh, Randall, what would you say is the most important difference between what we'll call ESSA, the most recent law passed in 2015, and the old NCLB? What would you say is the central difference? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, The central difference is that states can now choose how heavily to weight various performance indicators for schools, whereas before, under No Child Up Behind, the performance indicators had to almost entirely use student proficiency rates. In uh, ESSA, states uh, have to do a mix of things in terms of evaluating their schools. Uh, They do have to look at proficiency rates still, but they also have to look at student growth on test scores over time, and as well, they have to look at non-test score measures of student learning. Well, those proficiency rates always had a... a peculiar quality, right? There was 74% proficient, and somebody else could have missed it by a tiny little bit. Somebody else just barely made it over the top. I mean, it was a little bit idiotic to build a whole accountability system on just uh, who's a little bit above or a little bit below. A particular point is the distribution. Yeah, well, schools definitely responded to those incentives, and uh, some research I've done and others have done have showed that schools did pay more attention to students on the bubble for passing exams, and also under NCLB, really the most immediate accountability pressure was to schools who just needed to bump up those proficiency rates just a little bit uh, to do better. Um, so how does ESSA change that? You said they're still using proficiency rates Uh, Is this bubble phenomenon still going to be part of the new accountability system? Yeah, well, what states um, should do, and some, including myself, would argue uh, could do and should do, is to actually um, use a a mix of things to determine uh, which schools receive what types of evaluations. What's different is that states still have to identify schools in need of improvement. And there's actually a minimum fraction, a minimum percent of schools that they're going to have to classify in that category in the first year of ESSA and also every three years or so after that. Um, But what's nice about ESSA in terms of flexibility is that although states have to evaluate schools in terms of things like uh, value-added measures and proficiency rates, it's really up to the state in terms of how they want to use those evaluations. For, so actually, uh, states can be quite creative in terms of defining those schools in need of improvement. The schools in need of improvement don't have to be based on uh, proficiency rates. 
uh, in some sense, this could really change the direction of things because what we could end up with, it's sort of just a change in name alone, but instead of a school accountability system, we can really think of this as school evaluation systems where all schools get evaluated on many components and even schools with very high proficiency rates it can be shown what they're doing relatively well and what they're doing relatively poorly compared to some other schools. Well, that's very good. But if only 5% of the schools are going to be identified as not effective, isn't it going to be the case that about 90% of the schools or everybody who's not at risk is going to just sort of put this all on ignore? I don't think so. I think that, remember, that's a 5% minimum. And also, that's just for built-in sanctions. Um, Public reporting matters. So if states are publishing uh, report cards that evaluate schools on many dimensions, principals and parents are going to care uh, if a certain school is gets a certain evaluation. Let's say, for example, a state could easily start publishing report cards uh, annually that show that a particular school does better in terms of its third grade language arts performance than its third grade math performance. And that's the kind of thing a school would work on. So even though a school is in the not classified as a need of improvement, um, states who are ambitious with this can really use these different rules to flag school specific areas of improvement and areas of strength. You do want to uh, uh, commend schools for doing things relatively well. Well, do we have any examples of states that are being creative and coming up with uh, interesting new approaches to how to evaluate schools? I think it's too early to tell that these things are still being bandied back and forth. And what's, of course, concerning is that states can be uh, go very light on this. And even in terms of we have evidence, um, this is another thing I've studied with um, some co-authors, um, Elizabeth Davidson, Jonah Rockoff, and Heather Schwartz, uh, we found that states uh, even adopted NCLB in very different ways that led to dramatic differences in how many schools were classified under what categories. Just they could be very um, aggressive with it or very not aggressive depending on what formulas they use. The same problem exists with ESSA in terms of the opportunity for states to go very light. Well, the biggest variation that I encountered was that some states set high standards so that you had to have a very high performance in order to be identified as proficient, whereas other states set a very low level. Is that the difference among the states that accounts for much of the variation, or are there other factors as well? Interestingly, we found that that wasn't even the, you're, though you're correct that the standards were, were dramatically different, both in terms of the difficulty of the exams and the definition of proficiency, that wasn't what drove most of the differences across states. It was subtle things and formulas. One state might do a 95% confidence interval for adjustments, not to get too technical, whereas <laughs> another state might do 99%. Uh, some states aggregated performance across all grades. Some uh, states disaggregated performance uh, for each grade. And in some states, you were accountable for a subgroup if you had as few as uh, 15 students in that subgroup in a school. In other states, it could be as high as 40. And those were really the things that caused there to be the huge differences in the percent of schools that were failing in different states. Well, as we got towards uh, 2014, under the old NCLB law passed in 2002, they said that we had to have 100% proficiency. Well, there was a few exceptions, but at least 95% proficiency or something in that range. Uh, 
at every school in every category uh, in order to avoid being identified as uh, not uh, making adequate progress. So um, wasn't it basically that every state was identifying almost every school as failing by the end? That's how we would have ended up if it weren't for the waivers that came in um, from, of course, the U.S. Department of Education started issuing waivers. Um, and they were able to leverage that to uh, get states to enact some educational uh, policies that were uh, popular with uh, the, the U.S. Department of Education at the time. So I acquired the feeling that people were losing interest in this identification of schools as failing. They, a big interest initially, but as the years went by, people paid less and less attention to it. The newspapers paid less attention to it. Uh, it became less of a political issue. People just put it on ignore. The information was on the website of the state, but nobody really looked at it. But maybe people have gotten into that habit. Are they going to go back and really pay attention to this new ESSA definition of uh, or evaluation of schools? Yeah, I think it was a mistake to call it failing in the first place. Actually, using the term failing to make AYP, I think, was a mistake um, because how frustrating might it be for a very effective teacher to be working in a school and happen to be uh, find out that your school is called a failing school just because uh, a certain proficiency rate didn't hit. Uh, you might be a fourth grade teacher who's inheriting students who are already uh, grade and a half behind grade level and lo and behold they don't catch up fully to grade level when you're teaching them or you might be a, a teacher at a school where only the special education students uh, failed to meet proficiency rates and you don't even teach special education students. So that can be very frustrating to be called a failing school. I think there's really again, an opportunity here that states, I hope, take, and that might uh, quell some of this um, rational opposition to, to what's perceived as an attack on teachers through testing, uh, just to literally rename these things. And again, that's why I think it's important to have it uh, be called evaluation and to have, emphasize that all schools should be evaluated for their relative strengths and weaknesses. It's not really that important who's in the bottom 5%. We really just want to get the right kinds of interventions in the right kind of subjects at the right kind of grade levels to appropriate schools. Well, I can appreciate that, and that sounds like a good idea. But I also know that newspapers love the concept of failing. In fact, NCLB didn't really use the word failing themselves. It was the news media that picked up that phrase and hammered it home, and we all began using their language. What's to prevent that from happening again? They're going to get very interested in that 5% of schools or whatever percentage it turns out to be who are identified as in need of something. So how are we going to really escape that, that problem? If I were a state, yeah, that's a, a great point. If I were a state um, interested in, in uh, getting around that a bit, um, it's true you do have to um, publish uh, which schools are in that in need of improvement category. But again, I think you could have a lot of um, other categories. And again, if every school is receiving um, two great information about its two greatest strengths and its two greatest weaknesses, I think then there's actually less stigma uh, put on the schools put in that 5%. And again, schools don't have to, uh, states, sorry, do not have to use letter grades to uh, rate schools, in fact. I fear that some will, but I think that's actually a mistake. Because the more we come up with these discrete categories, the more we have unnecessary stigma when really the, the reason we want to be testing students annually isn't to punish, it's to 
improve uh, schools and target which areas are in most in need. And only in extreme, persistent cases of failure do we want to do things like remove uh, staff and remove teachers. Well, the other problem with NCLB, it seemed to me, was that their strategies for improving schools were very lumpy and not very well developed. After one year, nothing was going to happen. After two years, they were going to give parents a chance to go to another school in the same district as long as it was a public school. And another, another year, they were going to have uh, after-school programs, and then they were going to reconstitute schools. And all this was, you know, based on a political compromise in Washington in order to get this thing through Congress. How about ESSA? Do they have a, a strategy that states are supposed to follow, or are they just leaving it wide open? States can pursue any strategy they wish. Well, there is a, a broad strategy, although the, the, the specifics, uh, prescriptive measures are, aren't there. But the states do uh, require uh, working with the schools, and the school districts must work with the schools that are identified as in need of improvement. Um, and so they would have to actually come up with some sort of plan to uh, remedy uh, whatever uh, performance is, is seen as lacking. Um, but it's far more local, of course. We don't have this prescribed things um, such as supplemental education services or something like that. Um, so again, this is another area where you can be both optimistic and pessimistic. States have a great opportunity here to be really innovative in terms of thinking of targeted interventions that actually fit with the area that a school is failing in, rather than have it be the same reason. Before, if a school was struggling serving uh, limited English proficient students versus another school that was struggling with early math education, guess what? They're getting the same interventions. A smart state now could tailor very different types of interventions for schools struggling with different problems. And a smart state could identify with all these different sorts of performance measures, hey, which schools are doing this really well? Which schools are doing amazingly well at teaching uh, sixth graders uh, in, in math or, or whatever, and, and try to uh, replicate those models uh, in other schools as well? Well, I'm sure there will be some smart states out there, but the historic pattern in American education has been local control by local districts. Uh, state departments of education have been very weak institutions. They're located in the state capital, which is usually stuck in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's always a compromise as to where the state capital is, and it's usually a long ways away from the biggest city in the state. And those local school districts have, have historically paid very little attention to what the state has asked them to do, and the state hasn't asked them to do very much. So now, if the states are to be in the driver's seat, if they're supposed to now take the leadership and point the new direction, but you've got this historic uh, institutional relationship between states and districts where the states are really pretty deferential to local control, how many smart states are there going to be and how effective are they going to be in, in pushing uh, an evaluation system? Yeah, well, I think that the smart state has to leverage the Internet and the report card. Uh, ultimately, if they come up with a uh, report card, and, and in fact, parts of the report card could have simple information designed for parents, and that information could differ, actually, than the full report given to the school. I would re recommend that. If a, state, if, a, if a state is doing its business of both 
using very technical measures to identify, again, which subject areas and grade levels are most in need of improvement and uh, which sort of resources are need, needed, excuse me, um, then, and, and also presenting simplified um, versions of that to parents, I think that's the leverage that they would have to use. Basically, states are going to have to leverage information that they'll be gathering through these uh, various forms. And it's not, again, it's not just testing, it's doing things like surveying parents and students. And I think especially surveying parents can be a very powerful uh, way to go in terms of finding what parents are satisfied with and not satisfied. Well, Randall, this has been a fascinating discussion of the potential and the possibilities of ESSA. A lot of people have been saying that it really means the federal government is not going to play a major role in education, and you're saying the federal government is giving states a great opportunity, and they near, they just have to seize the day. So thank you very much for joining me on the Education Next podcast. I'm Paul Peterson. I've been speaking with Randall Reback, who is a professor at uh, in the Economics Department at Barnard College, Columbia University. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.